Well, we'll start with this. You know, our, our vision in IT is to be a community of sojourners on mission together for the gospel. And that is why we gather. We are a community that not only supports each other through the transitions of life, but also we remember that we were on mission. So even if you can't be here Thursday night, there's this reminder that when people are available, they come. And then when they're out deployed, you are you are missionaries, everyday missionaries, disciples of Jesus Christ, you know, out in the field representing and imaging Christ wherever he calls you to. And so, but then we are doing it together as a group. So we're together for the gospel. Uh, we're continuing through James, as you know, that we've been talking about real faith and real wisdom. You know, James really, uh, really captures the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And there's so much practical, practical wisdom for us practical instructions and tonight we're going to see that tonight's passage is, is just really practical uh, i do have to give you a warning that the tone is a, a tone of, of of rebuke it's a tone of warning that that james is writing to his audience uh, there is a debate as to whether the, his audience receiving this particular pericope of of james whether they are believers or unbelievers but either way it is a strong rebuke but for us who long to live for christ we have to take this as a strong saying where we need to consider how we plan and how we make decisions. So the, the title of tonight's message is really Strategic Planning and the Sovereignty of God. That's really what it's about. It's a, it's a message where the passage is, is talking about making plans. And we have two options. We make our plans independent of God or we make our plans dependent on God. We make our plans as life surrender to God or we make our plans as life separate from God. And I think even as Christians, there is a temptation a lot of times, or sometimes unintentionally, we just make plans. And we have to make plans. And so this passage is not saying not to make plans. I think if we are to be responsible believers and responsible human beings, we have to have a schedule. A schedule is why you're here, right? You have to have some type of timeline, some type of calendar. You should have some goals and aspirations in life. Um, you need to make a plan. This is not just sit at home and as the Lord wills and whatever the Lord opens, you know, that's the door I'm going to walk through and that's it. I'm not, I'm not going to make any decisions or be responsible at all. That's not what James is saying. But what he is saying, and here's the strong saying. Here's where I really want you to look at the text when we get into it. And, and you can see that this is not handly. You know, there's no reason for me to pound you with, <laughs> with this if this is not the, what the Word of God is saying. This is convicting to me as well. But this is actually saying that when we make plans, even as Christians, good plans, ministry plans, when we make plans and when we don't surrender those plans to the will of God or when we don't make plans with God in mind, it's actually sinful. It's actually a sin. It's actually disobedience. Uh, it's actually evil. It, it, it actually silently boasts that we can live and uh, apart from God. It presumes upon His grace. Now, that's strong. right? That's strong because you're saying, Hanley, if I make a plan to go in and out after IT, and I don't consider God that that's sinful, yeah, that's kind of what James is saying. Right, but but obviously we'll 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 break it down for you, you know, and um, I'll, I'll I'll explain that. But but it's that strong. So take God's word. Turn with me to James chapter four. If you're not there, uh, it's overhead, but small print. So if you have your Bibles, that'll help. But James chapter four, verses thirteen to seventeen. Let me read that to you, and then we'll get to point number one. Okay, James chapter four, verses thirteen to seventeen. So James writes this. 
He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. And that's a really strong saying. But here's point number one. Point number one is making plans apart from God. That's what this passage is illustrating. It's, it's exemplifying people who make plans apart from God. But the language alone will give you some context. The language is business context. Now, even though this is a business context, you and I can take the principle that even if you're not, whether you're not in business, in business or not, you need to make plans. And, and, and you'll notice that, that, that these business plans are just things that you and I, you know, take for granted sometimes. It's our everyday operation, right? Right. Notice that it says in verse 13, those who will, it said they will trade and they will make a profit. So he's addressing merchants, business people in his time. Now, there's a debate among uh, New Testament scholars. Are these Christians or are these non-Christians? Right? Some people say, look, you know, it's talking about, it's calling them to submit to the Lord's will. You can't do that unless you're a Christian. So he's warning and admonishing Christian merchants. Others, like Scott McKnight, will say, no, this is talking about non-Christians because he's talking about evil and he's talking about sin. And if you have Christ, then even when you sin, it's different. That, that, that this, is, this is his rebuke of people who don't really understand the gospel because it, it's unlikely that a Christian would not consider God at all, right? And so there's two different schools of thought. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, you know, because I think we should be, um, we should take God seriously no matter what, right? So whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, we need to consider the truth that when we make plans apart from God, that it is detrimental, Right, so that's that's the context. Business plans apart from God, the original context. But notice that you can apply these principles to your life. Because notice in verse 13, if you look carefully, it says today or tomorrow. We all got to make a plan for today or tomorrow. right? And then notice it says we will go. And we will go to such and such a town. We will spend a year there. And we will trade and make a profit. Now you could say, you know, I am going to apply to grad school. I am going to go to this grad school, hopefully, if I get in. And and the grad school will take about maybe one year or three years or eight years or ten years. And I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to get a job and I'm going to make a profit. Right? Um, You know, very simple. Or I'm going to get this job. Or I'm going to go here and set up a business. And I'm going to make this profit. Sounds like a plan. And it's not... A bad plan in and of itself, right? But but the tone of warning and rebuke is is basically teaching that because life is so short and uncertain, that it's presuming that you're going to be alive. So going back to the illustration, there's no sin in saying after church we're going to go to In and Out and eat a double double. I mean, there's no sin in that. And I don't think you know you really have to sit there and get into some mystical you know formation and just oh Lord you know please give me a sign, let me see some red and yellow, um, you know if, if if you want me to go in and out. Oh, she's wearing a USC sweater. Okay, I'm going. That's a sign. That's a sign, right? I mean, that's I don't think that's what this is teaching. 
But I think this, what this is teaching is, yes, you can make that plan, but in your heart, there's this attitude that, you know what, I need to take everything um, into submission, and I, need, I can't take anything for granted because I might not make it to In-N-Out. Now, I might get in a car accident on the way, or I might get a phone call. I might be perfectly healthy. I might get a phone call right there that my loved one or my friend is going into the hospital because something happened to them, and I'm not making it to In-N-Out. Or I might go to In-N-Out, and they're closed for... Uh, they had roaches or something. I mean, this never happened. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, might not, you might not get there. Okay? Or, how about this? You plan to go to In-N-Out, but instead, you have a conversation outside. And you think that conversation is going to be 10 minutes. But it leads to 30 minutes and an hour. And, and what it is, is another brother pouring out his heartache to you of what happened to him this week. And so you never made it to In-N-Out. Neither of you made it to In-N-Out. But you know what? God changed your plans. Right? And, and so, so I think I think I'm using a very surface level, simple illustration, but that's the hard attitude behind it. Now, notice the presumption in verse 13, right? Come now, you who say, right? That's 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 calling to rebuke. But then notice that how this plan might be boastful and arrogant, and and, I, and I'll get to verses 14 and 15. But if you just look at look at verse 13, when when it says we will go. Uh, that presumes that you'll be healthy enough and able to go. I'm going to go to New York. Well, hopefully you can afford, that presumes that you're going to be able to afford it and that you're going to be healthy enough to go. Now, you may be able to go, but it's God that gives us our health, right? It's God that gives us life. It's God that makes it possible. It's God that provides the way. Um, and so it presumes that, that we are in control of time. And it also uh, presumes that location is in our control. This person, the way that they're speaking is that we're going to go to New York and we're going to go to Wall Street. Well, who know, Who says you're going to get there? To such and such a town. And we're going to stay there for a year and we're going to learn how to trade stocks and we're going to make a profit. Well, even saying I'm going to stay there for a year, that's presuming upon God's common grace and upon God's special grace that that would be okay. Okay, and then that you're going to make a profit. So it's almost saying we are going to succeed. Our plan is going to be successful, right? So it's more the attitude because this plan itself is good, but it's more the attitude of independence rather than dependency upon God. And and, and so how do we know this is a warning? This phrase in, in the beginning of verse, third, verse 1, uh, I mean of verse 13, this very first uh, phrase, it says, Come now you who say, this is calling to attention. In the original language, this comes with force. So it's not just like, like, like come, on, come now, come on now. It's come now, you who say. If you're going to say this, come on. I, I want you to consider this. There's a force behind it. Now we know that, we believe that James was written by Jesus' half-brother. Right? That's that James. And, and that much of James, much of the content, he wants to show you the wisdom of Jesus Christ. So, so when you consider Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus goes into a series of admonishments rebuking the religious leaders, he begins every one of those paragraphs or those, those statements with, Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you. Woe to you. And James is following this pattern. But, you know, it's, it's only a few sections. And I want you to see this. Go to chapter 5. James, James chapter 5. So notice that, you know, in our passage it says, Come now, you who say. But look at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. That's judgment, right? 
So, th so that's rebuke. So you can see in both of these sections, the immediate context is almost like Jesus says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. So this is rebuke. This is a rebuke for living apart from God. This is the vice of making plans, and we can say making plans without prayerful submission. Right? Now, now let's get into verse 14. Why is it presumptuous? Well, it already tells you. Life is fleeting. Life is short. And ultimately, God is in control. So notice verse 14 of our passage, James 4, verse 14. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You've heard many preachers use the illustration of a tombstone where it could be like 1970 uh, to, I don't know, 2018 or something like that. And the dash is your life. I mean, at the end of your life, it really is like a vapor. Your life is reduced down to a dash, right? Our, our life is fleeting. We just don't know how long we will live. That's the idea. You're like a mist. It just appears momentarily and then it vanishes. It's gone. It's quick. It's fleeting, right? And this idea of, of the, the type of wisdom is that life is short. Therefore, you have to prioritize the things of God. Life is short. Therefore, we can't take tomorrow for granted. And we, and we have to be ready for anything. And this, this reflects even in the Lord's Prayer. Where the Lord's Prayer is, a, is supposed to be a daily prayer of dependency upon God. Where you're calling upon God for, for things like daily provision. Recognizing that, that it's the Lord who provides you everything that you need. But in Matthew 6 verse 10, it, it reiterates this idea. Thy will be done. Right? God's will will be done. Right? God's will is going to be done. Right? And then Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, it, it carries this same idea. The context is a little different, but it's the same line of wisdom of don't be anxious for tomorrow. Why be anxious for tomorrow? For, for God will provide for our basic needs. Tomorrow has its own worries. Right? So why are we anxious for tomorrow? We need to be anxious for today. We need to seek the kingdom of God today. We need to be anxious for whether or not we are pleasing God in our lives today because tomorrow we just don't know. Make plans, but be ready for God to change things. And, and, and so in verse 15, it's teaching that God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, we must have a proper attitude of humility. Notice verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I've seen people take verse 15 out of context. Uh, I've seen people take verse 15 as this is the lazy man's favorite verse, right? This is the life verse of the lazy man or the lazy woman, right? It says, <laughs> it, it says, instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live, uh, we will live and do this or that. And so some people say, well, I'm just going to sit at home and, you know, if the Lord wills, I'll get a job. But if he doesn't will, I'll just stay here and watch Netflix, you know. Um, you know, if the Lord wills, you know, I'll, I'll ask her out. But if not, no, oh well, you know, if you like him, go make your intentions known, right? It's like, uh, you know, if the Lord wills, you know, uh, I'll get up and go to church. But, well, guess what? The Bible tells, gives you some basic instructions for stuff. So, so that's not what it's talking about. Instead, this is in the tone, once again, of rebuke. Hey, this is calling these business merchants. And when you apply that principle to us, this calls the everyday person who makes plans saying, instead of being so confident that you're going to go to a city and you're going to stay there for a year and you're going to make a profit and your plan's going to be successful, instead, you ought to say this. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, 
then this plan will succeed. And hopefully it's, it, it's a God-honoring God plan to begin with. If the Lord wills, I'll make it to New York. If the Lord wills, then I'll work on Wall Street. If the Lord wills, I'll get that internship. If the Lord wills, I'll get married. If the Lord wills, right? And, and I'm not saying you have to go around saying that. That'll annoy the life out of people. I mean, if you're in your community group, a small group, and you're trying to share, and you're just like, yeah, if the Lord wills, you know, I'll, I'll say this next sentence. Oh, okay, I said it, so Lord wills. Yeah, if the Lord wills, you know, I, I'll read the chapter. So, hey, everybody, are you going to read chapter 5? Because that's what we're going to stress. If the Lord wills, I'll read it, but if he doesn't, then I won't. I mean, you don't have to do that, okay? But, but it is more of the constant attitude of humility. Uh, it's combating the sinful attitude of pride. And we know that James has already addressed pride. Right? It, it basically addresses this problem of self-sufficiency, life apart from God. It makes things simple. But, but you, you see the tone of rebuke carry through in, in verses 16 and 17. When notice verse 16, it says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Wait a minute, God, I just made a plan. How is this plan boasting? Well, it's because you said that in a year you're going to succeed, right? So he's talking to a specific audience, but this applies to us. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That's pretty strong. So God, I made a plan without you, without considering you. It's evil. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And once again, verse 17 has to be taken in context. Right? And this is teaching us that making plans apart from God is arrogant and sinful. And that's the strong saying. Again, it's not saying don't make plans, but we have to be ready for God to change our plans. Now, now here's where it brings counsel to our hearts. Here's where you begin to see, okay, God, you know, I get the principle. What does this mean? You know how sometimes you make a plan for yourself. Right? For me, you know, being in seminary, being a pastor and most of my, uh, when I was in seminary, I mean, most of my classmates were, were married. A lot of them were back then. And I said, okay, by 24, I'm gonna get married. 24, I realized, you know, I'm not mature enough. So, so I'm gonna go 26, I'm gonna get married. Okay. But by, by, by the time I, I, I get ordained, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get married. Um, you know, and, and it's okay if you're single, right? If you're 30, 40, if you're single, it's fine. Right. But I was like, okay, gotta make 30. Gotta make 30. You know, I got married like 29 or something. So, so I'm, I'm like, gotta make 30. I had these plans. But but there was a period of time where in between, you know, I, I was like, okay, everybody else who's single, like, like they're not in ministry. You know, but when you're in ministry, you know, it's hard. I'm looking at like, I'm looking at all the pastors around me and they got like, you know, three, four kids. And here I am, you know, here I am single. I can't even do premarital counseling. <laughs> and, um. You know, and, 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 and so, and, and the, the truth is you can. You can as a single person, but, but sometimes the church doesn't give you that, that, that nod, right? They, they're just like, well, you know, what, what do you know? And, and, and so, and so I, I had these plans and I, I dealt with that sadness. I dealt with that, God, what's wrong with me? How come it's taking so long? Um, you know, and, and other things in life, and you guys can relate to this, right? So sometimes that's where counsels our heart. When, when we make plans and we're like, we're going to succeed or this plan's going to be good. Or, or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in school for three years. What if you run out of money? What if a crisis happens and your financial aid falls through and you got to take a, you got to take a detour? What if your plan was go to, go to med school, but God said, no, 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 no. You're going to take care of your sick parents for a while and, and you're going to work at 
some coffee shop until you're ready. You know, whatever it is. What if, what if, what if your plan was to go to missions and God says, no, no, no. You know, you're working a regular job. Not yet. Not now. I mean, that's a good plan. But what if God wants to change course? You see, when your heart is ready to surrender to the sovereignty of God, it's not that you don't make plans, but that your plans are naturally surrendered to the outworking of God's will. You see, this is not talking about God's will in the sense of finding out God's hidden will for your life. Right? There, there, when, we look, when we talk about God's will, there are different degrees of, of, of God's will, or there's different categorical um, descriptions of God's will. Uh, there is the revealed will of God, which is simply what God reveals to you. And the clearest revelation is Scripture. You know, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you go and love someone as yourself and you, sh you show kindness, then I'm pretty sure that's God's will. You know, pray. I'm pretty sure that's God's will. You know, it says it. Pray without ceasing. It's a command, right? So, so there are things that, that you look at Scripture, you're like, okay, what is God's will? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm pretty sure if you do that, that's God's will. But then there's the hidden will of God, and that's the tomorrow, that's the your future plans. You just don't know what's going to happen. That's what God doesn't reveal to you. And I don't think anybody else knows. And I, and I don't think God, sometimes He might tell you in a certain way, but mo for most of us, you know, he's, he doesn't tell us. We just kind of trust him. And that's where you trust in the sovereignty of God that your plans are going to, God will open and close doors and it is the outworking of his will. And sometimes your plan is going to take longer because he wants to sanctify you. Other times he just wants to change course because he wants you to do something else, right? But, but we don't know that and that requires faith and trust. And that's where it becomes very practical. Right, right, right. That's where it speaks to our hearts. It, it is our, our, our hearts. It's not so much our, our plans, our, our hearts surrendered to the sovereign outworking of God's will. Do we believe that He has His best interests, our best interests, I mean, you know, in mind when He says no to prayers that we've been lifting up to Him for years? Right, and this could even be health concerns or or, or, or good things, good God honoring, Jesus loving requests that we bring to Him. So that's that's the point, right? Making plans apart from God. That's all of verses thirteen seventeen. It's hard for me to do a one point thing, you know. So um, you know, we don't have three, but here's two. So surrendering our plans to God. Here's the applicational part. Okay, surrendering our plans to God. So the first the first point is making plans apart from God. Okay, but surrendering our plans to God. So what does it look like to have the hard attitude of if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, this surrender, this submission. All right, what does it look like? Well, first, I think biblically, it looks like humility. And we already see that, right? Why? Where do you see that in this immediate text? It's the opposite of boasting and it's the opposite of arrogance. It's humility. That's where you see it, right? It, it, it's a it's a positive. Uh, it's it's the converse of arrogance. Making plans with an attitude of humility, and so whenever we make make plans, they need to be plans that are driven with humility, and and, and so it, it's we should we should not always think that we're going to succeed because we're good or because we're trained or because we're equipped or, or we have the time. Um, even if, even if we are very uh, skilled in a certain thing, we need to trust in God, right? Um, Secondly, it's submitting your plans to God through prayer. And that's talking to God. So what does it practically look like to submit your plans to God? When we make a plan for anything in life, put it before God. 
Ask him. Okay, ask him, God, does this please you? Is this what you desire for me? Show me in scripture if this is not aligned. Uh, show me in scripture. Or show me through um, a brother and sister in Christ. Or speak to me through common sense. Right? Thirdly, what does it look like? Right? It's making plans that align with scripture. I mentioned that. That, that scripture will reveal things. But I think here's where you know, it gets more applicable. Is what happens when, when scripture doesn't address the issue that you, you bring before God. So you want to make a plan. You, you, you have some questions. You have a decision that you have to make. And the Bible doesn't give a direct answer for it. There's principles like trust God, pray. But there's not a direct answer. And I think that falls in, the, in line with the genre of wisdom. And that goes behind the authorial intent of James as a whole, as a book. Wisdom that, that is lived out. Wisdom that is applied. And you can think about this as making plans according to the wisdom of Christ. And so some will say that wisdom is the application of Scripture through prayer, common sense, information, and counsel. Uh, I'm not quoting that because I don't know where that came from, but I, I must have heard it from somewhere. Or I've been reading too many um, CCEF books or counseling books lately, and maybe it's a bunch of Paulison trip and, you know, Welch. <laughs> so um, all those guys, right? So... Um, but basically, you know, wisdom can be understood as the application of Scripture through prayer, application of Scripture through common sense, information, and counsel. So, so Scripture doesn't give an answer, but it gives you a biblical principle. Uh, and you take that and you pray. Then you say, okay, what does common sense say? Um, okay, do I, can I get information on this decision that I have to make? Uh, okay, now I'm going to seek wise counsel from people. And so, so that's what you really see. And so the big idea of tonight's message uh, and the passage is the wise in Christ. And so if we're talking to Christians, those who want to live for Jesus, the wise in Christ humbly submit their plans to the outworking of God's sovereign will, which means we must make plans, but we submit our plans to the outworking of God's sovereign will, which oftentimes we can't see in the moment. He doesn't give it to us, right, immediately. The wise in Christ humbly submit their plans to the outworking of God's sovereign will. And ultimately, we've been saying that Christ is our wisdom. He's our example of wisdom. You know, Christ had all the authority in the world. He had all the authority in the world, but he gives us the example of this type of humble wisdom and submission. Unlike us, when he makes a plan, he could actually guarantee the ultimate success. The perfect success of that, any plan of action. But instead of doing things according to his will, he submitted to the plan of his father. And we see this, and this ties back into this Holy Week, you know, Good Friday and Easter, is that in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he did pray, Lord, if the Father, if there's any way, please take this, remove this cup of wrath from me. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But in the end, he said, ultimately, Lord, it is not my will, but your will be done. It's not my will, but your will be done. He understood what it meant and he exemplifies what it means for us to completely surrender our lives our lives, even if we know we can succeed to surrender our will to the will of God the Father. And in that way, Christ is our perfect wisdom. And the only way to understand this wisdom is to continue to grow in our 
relationship with Christ, to continue to seek Christ, continue to love Christ. So hopefully you can see today, I want to wrap up where I started, is that this is a strong rebuke. It's saying if you make plans and you forget to consider God, it may be sinful. But I'd like to, I'd like to believe that James offers hope for the Christian is that maybe you are exactly a business merchant and a lot of times you do need to make plans and decisions. you got to make them quick. And you forget. You're well-meaning, but you don't have time to go to the bathroom and pray. You know, you're right there. you got to make a decision. You're going to make a plan. you got to propose a plan. I think it's the grace of God is that if you are in Christ, you're already in His plan. If you're in Christ, one, He's forgiven you and He's going to eventually bring you the reminder through the Spirit that, hey, the way you're living needs to be aligned with me. That's the beauty of being in Christ. right? That, that being in Christ, our sins are already forgiven. So we can operate out of freedom. But it's just a reminder. It's just an exhortation. Just remember. It's evil. And Jesus came to save us from evil. But Him saving us from evil is actually Him surrendering to the outworking of the will of His Father. And so it's all wrapped up in the gospel and the cross. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray. And I know some of you guys have, you guys have plans, and <laughs> you need to um, you need to stop by Chick Fil A before you go home because you got to eat and go to sleep and go to work tomorrow. So after I pray, for those of you who um, need to go, um, you can go. Uh, but but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and um, because the group is small, I'm going to just go ahead and um, open up for for some short time of discussion. Um, meaning you can ask me any questions. I mean, Q&A, not discussion. Uh, but anytime during that time, just get up and go if you need to go. Um, and then I'm going to close it after a certain amount of time because I don't want to keep you guys too late. Okay, so let me pray. Father, grateful for your word. And tonight's word is cutting, but it's just such a great reminder to us. It convicts us, Lord, that ultimately the only way that our plans are successful is through Christ. Because Christ fulfilled the one redemptive plan that saved us, that makes us not evil in your sight, that makes us, Lord, not prideful, arrogant, and despicable in your sight, but, but that brings us in as lovable children of yours because of Christ. Lord, help us to look to Him. Help us to look to Him who perfects our faith when our, our faith fails. Help us to look to Him, Lord, who will present us blameless before you. Help him, Christ, that he would be our boast. Lord, will our success be because of Christ? And Lord, even when we are successful in this world, Lord, help it be because Christ is flowing and living and working out his purposes in and through us. And if anybody in here tonight does not know your, your son, Lord, Father, I pray that you would draw them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.